0: Amen. Timeless Testaments is our series, and we're getting close to the end. And uh, this is a story of Esther, and I'm going to title this message, Secret Faith. Secret Faith. So turn with me to the book of Esther. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you could look back and see God at work? Maybe there was coincidences that kind of just situations seemed to work out, and it wasn't anything uh, demonstrative, or uh, that it was just like, oh my gosh, I really saw the hand of God in that. Or maybe it was like you missed that that red light. If you hadn't have hit that red light, you would have had an accident later. How many people have seen things like that in your life before? That you just kind of look and you look back, or maybe it was a, a situation with your job or a move or whatever, and you kind of step back and you say, oh my gosh, I just see the hand of God. I didn't notice it in that moment, but later I see that how God was orchestrating things. How many people have seen things like that in your life? Amen. Most of us in the room today. That That sometimes... we can look back and say, man, I was at the right place at the right time. Or maybe I went through some trying ordeal to see how early God would bless me later. uh, Or those coincidences. Or I could just see God behind the scenes. You know, God is faithful. And he is always working on behalf of his people, whether we see him or not. And uh, sometimes uh, it could be that he's working in economies or governments. He might be working in your job. It might be that traffic light. But sometimes we don't always feel like we can see God. We don't feel like he's a parent, and we wonder, where is God? Is he working in my life right now? It's been a while since I've seen him or since I've heard him, or I just I don't know what he's doing in this situation I'm going through. And we wonder, well, what is God's will for my life, or what is God's purpose for my life? I don't know how to navigate the circumstances that I'm in. And uh, Romans tells us that God works everything out for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. How do we walk in the purpose of God when we're navigating circumstances that feel like, okay, where is he? I don't see him. I don't know what's going through uh, his mind. And I, I know what's going through my mind. But how do I discover and follow his purpose? And Esther uh, is this book where God is hidden. In fact, God is never mentioned in this book at all. They never mention God. But you can see God throughout the entire story. And that's kind of the idea that we're going to talk about this morning. He's never mentioned, but we can see him working through the lives of a person named Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And these guys are living in exile, and they're struggling to follow God's law. It does, their life is definitely not perfect. Uh, but they, they're going to begin to do things in this story where they're going to see the hand of, God's, uh, hand of God at work even though the enemy is working against them. And I just want you to remember one thing today, that when God seems hidden, let your faith stand. When God seems hidden, if I don't know where God is, sometimes I need to stand up for my faith, and then God is going to reveal himself to me. So if, you're, if, you, if you feel God is hidden, let your faith stand. Okay, let's look in this uh, passage today, and I'm just going to give you the, uh, the brief overview But where is God? the beginning of the story starts off uh, in man's world, in man's kingdom. We find uh, the children of Israel have been sold uh, and gone into slavery and to exile. And at first it was the Assyrians that took the first half. And now the Babylonians had taken uh, the northern kingdom. And now the Babylonians have been taken over by the Persian. So Persia is ruling the world today. And there is this king called Exerces. And Exerces is ruling the world. And he has set up his kingdom to be the most awesome place on earth. He has got marble uh, palaces and statues, and then their couches are made of gold. The things they drink out of are made of gold, and he has titled himself King of Kings uh, and King of the World. He set himself up as King of the World. And he does all that. he's even having 180 days worth of banquets just priding himself in his military power and his conquest and his pleasures and all these things. And they're just drinking to excess. Uh, you can, and in this palace, you can drink as much as you want. And when you're full, you can drink some more again. And so people are getting drunk. They're priding themselves in sexual immorality. They're worshiping false gods. And he's king of kings, so he thinks, right? And Israel is there in the midst They're trying to navigate how do I live in this context... And in this story, we see that this king, he is so double-minded that one day his queen, Vashti, uh, he says there's, a, a, there's a, a guy party on one side and a, and a girl party on the other, and they normally didn't mix. And he says, I want to pra- parade my queen around so all these drunk men can see how beautiful she is. And she says, no, I'm not going to degrade myself and come into that and put myself in the middle of that. I'm the queen. He gets mad. He deposes her. Uh, some people think he kills her. And so now he's in this four years of mourning himself, and he regrets it, and all this stuff goes on. And so his his people say, hey, let's throw a big beauty pageant, and for uh, we're going to get hundreds of these uh, beautiful young virgins, and we're going to parade them in front of you, and you're going to have them all as your wives. And so they go, they collect hundreds of young women uh, from all across the the nation, and they would put them through a years-long beauty uh, spa day. Ladies, doesn't that sound good? A year-long spa day, the best oils and makeups and perfumes, and for a year they put them on a special diet, and they would parade them around the king, and they'd have one night with the king, and then they'd become his concubines, his, his harem of wives, right? And one such girl that got chosen for this was Esther. Her real name is Hadassah, which means myrtle tree, but Esther means star, and it means beautiful one. And that's what they called her in Persia. And her cousin, Mordecai, uh, adopted her because her mom and dad had died. And so he adopts her, and Mordecai works for the palace, and so he has a little bit of inside. And so he allows her to go, because you don't have a choice anyway. And so she goes, and she becomes a part of this beauty pageant. And for a year, she's preparing, and Mordecai's keeping tabs on her. And she is told by him, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. And we don't know why, but just for some reason, he felt led to tell her that. So she keeps her Judaism or her faith a secret. Comes to her time to go before the king, and he sees her as the most beautiful one, and she's uh, going to be with him for that night and become his wife. And and her humility, and man, she is really really pretty. But in her humility, people begin to find favor with her, even the king's top officials. And she follows her recommendation while other people are being all gaudied up with perfume and clothes and jewelry. She just goes as she is. She puts on very humble stuff. She goes before the king. She's gentle. She's humble. She's peaceable. She's beautiful. And he finds favor with her. And so he all these other ladies, they would come through and become his wife. And he may never, ever see them again. And they become widows for the rest of their wives, just in his court, never to be seen unless he called them. But Esther he found favor with. And he made her his top wife. And she became the queen of. Of Persia. And all of this would come about. And in that moment, in that time, God would grant, you would just see God's hand in all of this because Mordecai, as he sat at the king's gate, would hear of a plot against the king. And so he told Esther, and Esther tells the king, and God begins to work out some things in the situation. And they grant favor to Mordecai and to Esther. So here's this how does this young girl? as a Hebrew, as a Jew, now marrying a pagan who is full of debauchery, and he just killed his other wife. You know, I mean, he just threw her out for no reason. That's got to be a trying time. One, I don't want to marry this guy, but she does anyway. And how do I keep my faith? My faith is a secret. My my Judaism is a secret, but I'm eating pagan food, and I'm going to all these pagan parties, and, and I'm navigating this world. Where's God at? You know, I think in the same way, that the church is the same way here today in America. Uh, Man has set himself up as king of the world. His kingdom is full of debauchery. It's full of sexual immorality. We see sexual abuse on the rise. People take young girls, even in the economy or in in the social media, in Hollywood today, they'll... Want girls to starve themselves, put on these horrible looking clothes, uh, go to these parties looking like prostitutes, and then they, when they're done with them, they throw them away as if they're nothing, right? We've got girls starving themselves, putting themselves up on social media, trying to get people to like them, and they're, the more social likes I can get, uh, that's, all, that's what's feeding all of this man's kingdom. And man, all the while is is pleasure-centered and self-centered and double-minded. The kingdom of man is unstable in all of his ways. And meanwhile, we can go through these... I feel like, you know, i got two young daughters. I feel like we're going to be sheep amidst the wolves, right? That's what Jesus said. We're like sheep amidst the wolves. How do I navigate and how do I have my children navigate this perverse, sexually immoral culture uh, and go through this with faith, Right? And so I can wonder, God, where are you? Are you guarding my children? Are you guarding my life? Are you with us? And Romans 8.14 says that if, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can be sure that we are God's children. Because I want us to have this confident assurance that no matter what we go through, and young people, listen to me, that no matter what perverse generation we find ourselves in, no matter what situation that seems like God is absent, the Bible says if you have God's Spirit living in you, that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. doesn't matter where you are. And so uh, it says he's with us. And so the Bible says, how do you do that? Well, we put to things by the spirit. We put to death the flesh. We even if we're navigating a very fleshly culture, it means that we can be Romans 12 says that conformed not to the world, but renewed in the spirit of our minds. And that through that, you'll know what God's will is for you. That is, I know I'm a child of God and the spirit helps me put to death the fleshly things. The spirit begins to renew my mind. It says when it does that you'll know what God's plan is. So Esther has got to begin to figure out, God, what is your plan for my life? How do I navigate a very immoral job uh, that I'm on? Students, how do I navigate a culture of bullying and sexual immorality and sexual, uh, uh, you know, just uh, just profane language and, and all these things? How do I navigate a culture that is filled with violence and the media is just tearing this country apart? How do I navigate this? Know that you are a child of God. Put to death the fleshly things. Renew the spirit in your mind, and you'll know every step of the way what God wants you to do, right? So where's God? And then, then here's, here's the other part. You and I have an enemy, and this enemy wants to plunder you. And so sh- they go on, and, and this guy named Haman, he rises to power. And Haman is an is a, uh, Amalekite. And Amalekites is a long-standing enemy of the Jews, all right? This goes back to Saul's day when Saul didn't kill them all. The Bible says that Saul was supposed to kill them all, but he didn't, and they became enemies, and they'd go on and go on. So there's a the whole message right there. Church, uh, parents, moms, dad, whatever you don't deal with today in your household, your children will be dealing with it tomorrow. You put, don't put that anger aside. You don't put that unforgiveness aside. It's going to go. You don't put that alco- alcoholism aside, that immorality aside. It's going to your children. And that's what happened to Haman. Haman is now another enemy. Here they are. They're in a foreign land, and the enemies of yesterday are still fighting them today, not even where they were. They're not even in Israel, but their enemy still seems to find them. You have an enemy that no matter where you go, no matter what relationship you're in, no matter what town you move to, he's still going to find you. He wants to take you down and take you out. And so Mordecai is there. He's a Jew. And as Mordecai is serving the king, everybody is supposed to bow down to Haman. Haman gets promoted, and everybody's supposed to bow down to him. But Mordecai, because he knows that I'm only going to honor God, and this guy is an enemy of God, I will not bow down. And, man, it makes Haman furious, furious. And for this reason, he knows that it's because he's a Jew, and he will not bow down. I'm going to try to kill every Jew in Persia. Every person like him I'm going to kill. And so uh, they find this out, they find that this plot, and he begins to cast lots. Haman casts these things called purr, it's like a dice, uh, it's not a cat, right? It's a purr, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. He begins to cast lots, and they find uh, through his sorcery and magicians, they say, well, the most favorable day to kill these Jews uh, through this sorcery is going to be 11 months from now. So he goes to the king, he says, king, I'm your top dude, uh, I got a, a proposition for you. I'm going to make you very, very rich I'm going to give you 375 tons of silver. But here's the catch. There's these troublemakers. There's these people. They don't bow down to you. They're not serving our gods. They're really not good for the economy. Uh, we need to wipe them out. they are not very many of them. They don't really do anything. They're just Jews. And I'm going to take their plunder, and I'm going to deposit it into the treasury. You're going to become much, much richer. And he says, okay, sure, I'll give you authority. He takes off his signet ring, gives it to Haman, gives him full authority on that day to do whatever his purpose in his heart. And so Mordecai and the whole nation hear about this plan. It goes out that on certain such day, Jews are going to be killed across the whole nation, across the whole empire. They begin to weep, and Jews across the whole nation begin to weep. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John that there are only two types of people in this world. There are sons and children of God, and there are children of the devil. There are only two types of people, uh, the, and the other one, the one is a lover of God and a lover of people, and the other one is a hater of God and God's people. And Satan's schemes, No, even in this world today, Satan was behind this whole thing, and Satan still today in this country, and this world, is scheming to, give, to encourage man to give him authority and power. The king did not know what he was doing. Now he was handing over authority to a son of Satan. And today the same is true. Man is unknowingly giving authority away to the devil. He is uh, scheming that one day, you can see it coming. If you, Adults, if you've been alive for more than 20 years, you can see the change. How we are seeing things stripped away in the world. The economy is getting worse and the world is getting worse and persecution is on the rise and rights are being stripped away. And Satan has been scheming since the beginning of time that he could find a moment where a man will give him full authority. Jesus said that you will be hated by all because of my name's sake. It was for the sake that they were a Jew, that they were hated. And it's going to be the same way for the sake that you're a Christian may not feel like that now, but there's coming a day you will be hated just because you have the name Jesus attached to your name. And it actually is true that Bible prophecy says this. There will come a day in the last days where they will hand over to this chief son of Satan. We call him the Antichrist that for one moment man will give all authority to him because uh, they worship him and his image And those who do not bow down to him in his image, he will destroy. Do you see how this has been working since the days of Esther? It's going to be working to the very same thing in the days of the end. We should be wise, church. This is not just a story from ancient times. It's not just a story for the future. It's a story for today. That The whole world is bowing down to Satan and his schemes unknowingly. We have children not knowing really what's going on. Parents educating your children. They don't know what they're bowing down to. We should be wise. It says that we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, even though we're sheep amidst the wolves. That we have to begin to say, God, what is going on? And we can look forward to this day when we know there is coming a day of great tribulation. And But there's this year span of time they begin to mourn. For a year they would begin to mourn. God, I see there's a day coming when things are going to be stripped away from us. And it's this slow fade. And that's the fade that you and I are in today. It mean that we say, oh yeah, the tribulation, Pastor, it's a ways off. That's what they thought too. But there was a mourning that began to go on for a year. That we know, God, what are you going to do? How are we going to survive what's coming? coming because there's an enemy who is plotting to plunder you you say oh pastor heath you're just being prophetic you're just being oh that's just the old school bad news that's just what i've heard No, no no this is truth we should be aware of what's going on around us so this enemy they say where's god the enemy's plotting to plunder but when god seems hidden let your faith stand When God seems hidden, let your faith stand. So he's looking for bold believers. And so what happens is Mordecai finally gets a word to Esther. He's in mourning. He's in sackcloth and ashes. And he can't go into the palace because only women could go into this part. And he's like, "Ah, I'm mourning. And so finally they get word to her. And she says, what's going on? And he tells her through her servant, this is the plan. There's coming a great day of tribulation. And what are we going to do? Look with me in Esther chapter 4, verse 13. She says, but you know I can't approach the king because if anybody goes into his courts without being invited, it is a death sentence unless he, in grace, and then hopefully he put his scepter out to you. That's the only way you can go in. I haven't been in with him for 30 days. He's not even called my name. How am I going to go in there? And here's Mordecai's reply. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance, it will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Such a time as this, that's kind of the theme of that chapter. He tells her, he says... Esther, you cannot continue now to keep your faith a secret. I told you before, keep your faith a secret. But no longer, the time is ended because the enemy is plotting to plunder. No longer can you keep your faith a secret. Look, this whole thing is not just a coincidence that God has got you to where you are today, to your job, to your place of employment, to your school, to your family. It's not just a coincidence where you are and you can no longer let your faith be a secret. But I need you to understand God has a purpose in this day and time for you. And he says, and if you won't help, God will still save his people. But you and your father's family, you'll probably perish. Don't think you can hide from what's coming. Church in America, don't think you can hide from the coming persecution that's going on around the world. Satan doesn't give America a pass because we've got money. Because we got comfortable uh, pews and chairs. He doesn't just give us a pass because we got media and projection and lighting and and we don't have all the things. He's not giving America a pass. He's saying, don't think you can escape what's coming in your comfort, in your palace with your big walls. What's coming is there is a, a day of tribulation. And now is the time where your faith can no longer be a secret. And you need to be living out God's purpose for your life. I think the same is true that Jesus is warning the American church of a coming day. And we think, oh, God, but it's, it's over there in Africa. It's over there in India. It's not happening in America. And that's the same thing Mordecai would say. Don't think you can escape it. Don't think you can escape it. He says, but here's the deal. God has put you in place where you are right now for such a time as this. God is looking for people. I don't care if you're a mechanic, electrician, a nurse, a teacher, or a student. You and I have a position of influence that God wants us to use today, right now. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. You have a position of influence. And it says this, that, yeah, God is going to save his people. You say, well, Pastor Heath, I know there's missionaries and there's you and evangelists. There's people. They do all that stuff. That's true. God does not need you to save his people. He can get the rocks to do it. He can have the mountains. And if you look in, in the Bible, he's had bears eat people. He has had donkeys talk. He's had waves part and crush armies. He does not need you. But don't think you can escape and you'll be a part of his glorious plan. Don't think that he's just going to say, oh, okay, well, I'll give that person a pass. He says, she says to Esther, he says, but if you don't do this, you and your father's house will perish. What does that say about a church that fails to live up to its purposes in God? A church that doesn't care about the lost and dying, going to hell. That Satan has thousands and thousands, even in this parish alone, who are going to be destroyed on that last day unless this church, unless his church stands up and lives out the purpose that he has for us. And don't think we can just sit by and watch it all happen and think we're going to be okay on judgment day. He's saying, I've put you as teachers, as mechanics, as students. I've put you in the oil field. I've done things in your life. I've gotten you to this point. You've had a testimony. I have brought you out of drugs and alcohol and addiction. I brought you through divorce and marriages. I've done all these things because I've given you a position, a platform for such a time as this. And like Esther, it may come at great personal risk. Look what happens in verse 16. She says, okay. Take the challenge. Go assemble all the Jews in the town. And she says, I want you to call a fast. I want you to fast. I'm going to have me and my girls. We're going to fast for three days. Don't eat or drink anything. And she says, and I'm going to go to the king, which is not according to the law. Look at that. She's disobeying the law. And I love what she says. She says, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Church, if you want to be a part of the salvation of God's people, you're going to have to die. Jesus says that you have to take up your cross and follow him. Unless a man deny himself and take up his cross, he is not worthy of me. Unless you are willing to die to yourself, to your ambitions, to your family, to your hobbies, unless you're willing to die to your reputation, and we may have to break a few little cultural uh, norms, we may have to get a little crazy, we may have to fudge a little bit, and I think God is saying, how many people are willing to take a risk anymore? How many people are willing to push the envelope anymore in America to say, guys, I don't, I don't think this is... I, most people don't stand up in the lunchroom and talk about Jesus. Most people don't just uh, pray before our work gets going today. Most people don't, don't put Jesus out there like that. Don't be too crazy. Don't make any waves, Pastor Heath. This isn't what we should do. And, and really the government says, I can't do that. She says, if I die, I die. If people hate me, they hate me. If I get fired, I get fired. If I get ridiculed, then I get ridiculed. But I have been called to stand up for Jesus for a time such as this. Because His kingdom is the only kingdom that matters. And there is no king but our king. I don't care what man... Man's kingdom is flawed. I don't care what the government thinks. I don't care what my boss thinks. I don't care what people think. I care what God thinks. And we've got to get above ourselves, church. Because your faith might just inspire somebody else. Think about it. Mordecai stood up for his faith against Haman. And now he's inspired Esther to stand up against her faith, stand up for her faith against the king. Your faith might inspire somebody else to stand up. When God seems hidden, let your faith stand. I'm praying for students who'll stand up for modesty and for purity. I'm praying for students who'll tell their football coach. I'm going to be at youth on Wednesday night. I don't care if practice goes long. I'm standing up for Jesus. I'm praying for students who on ball practice will say, hey, coach, I'm not playing on Sundays because I'm standing up for Jesus. I'm praying for people in their workplaces to say, I'm standing up for Jesus. People in their neighborhood to say, I'm standing up for Jesus. I'm going to put out drugs in our neighborhood. I'm going to volunteer in homeless shelters. I'm going to uh, teach my kids the ways of righteousness because I'm standing up for something when everyone else is bowing down. Church, I think today is time to push the envelope. People who are ministering to at-risk kids and ministering to the poor, they're keeping drugs out of their community, they're volunteering in their churches. It's going to be a sacrifice, but God, help us to take some risks. I may look like a fool. I may get a bad reputation. I may get fired. But God, help me to stand up for my faith. Esther was just an orphan, just an orphan, but God made her the queen of Persia. He didn't leave her alone, and he will not leave you alone. You say, "Well God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this?" Romans 8:26 says, "The spirit will help you in your weakness." When you don't know how to pray as you should, the Spirit will intercede for you with groanings too deep for words. He'll search the hearts and minds of God. He knows, he knows those things, and because He intercedes for you according to the will of God. God is not going to leave you to do this alone. He's going to be with you every step of the way. I don't think Esther quite knew what God was doing. But when we do our part, God is sure to do His part. I think sometimes in our life we feel dead and dry and like religion is just kind of going through the motions. It's because we haven't pushed the envelope in a while. God's hidden. That's because you're not standing up for your faith. We're not taking any risks. We're not pushing the envelopes. God doesn't have to show up and show out because we're fine to just go through the motions and bow down to the rest of the world. They're all bowing down to sports and drugs and alcohol and sex. They're bowing down to all the perversions of this world. They're letting their kids do whatever they want on their cell phones. Moms and dads are fine to let their kids stay home on church day. Mom and dad, what you let them do today, they're going to do tomorrow. If church is an option today, it's going to be an option when they're adult. Everybody's bowing down to man's kingdom. This is how church is today, Pastor Heath. People don't come to church like they used to back in the day. What are you bowing down to and what are you standing up for? God wanted to reveal Himself, and this was about to be a reversal. Look in this the end of this book. There's about to be a turning of the tide. So here she goes. She goes and she stands before the king. Amen. In grace, God has worked it out that in favor he allows her to come. He says, Esther, uh, hey, gorgeous, what do you want? I'll give you half of my kingdom, even. And she says, Well, I'm going to give you a banquet. Can I just give you a banquet? And I'll tell you there. So he says, Hey, just you and Haman. I want to throw a banquet for you and Haman. He says, Okay, great, darling. And so they go and they have a banquet. And he's, he goes, and, they, they, man, she treats them well, and they, they party well and drink well and all this kind of stuff, and, and they're happy and satisfied. And he says, well, babe, what do you want? And she says, well, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll tell you tomorrow. At the next Can I do another banquet? I'll tell you tomorrow. He says, okay. And so that day, man, Haman is walking on cloud nine. He's thinking, whew, I got the king in my pocket. I got the queen in my pocket. He walks out the door, and guess who's standing there right there? Mordecai. And does Mordecai bow? No. And man, Haman gets so mad. He goes home and he plots with his family. He says, I've got... Man, the queen loves me. The king loves me. I'm all that and everything else. And he says, but I've got to kill this dude. So he makes a 50-cubit tall gallow in his backyard. That's serious now. In his backyard, he, he creates a way to hang Mordecai. And his family says, well, tomorrow at the next banquet, go tell the king. Can I have his life? Surely, if he loves you this much, he's going to give you his life. You're going to kill the Jews anyway. So go ahead. So that's a great plan. Well, at the same time, the king goes to bed, and the king can't sleep at night. No doubt God has kept him awake, right? God's working behind the scenes. He can't sleep, so he says, "Bring out all the records, and let's go back over the last few months and years of things that maybe we've forgotten, and all the great things that have happened. And they find he's going through these records, and he finds that the day that Mordecai and Esther stopped his assassination he says, well, what's been done for this guy? I don't think we've honored him. They said, no, king, we haven't. So he says, let's do that tomorrow. They get up. The next day, they come, they get ready. And the king says, hey, who can I get to honor this guy? He said, well, Haman's out here. He's waiting for the next party. All right, bring Haman in. Haman, how can I honor a man who just is the greatest dude ever? How can I bless somebody who's honored me? What, would you, uh, what should I do to a man who's worthy of all kinds of praise? And Haman's thinking, I'm about to get it all, man. I'm about to just, the king is about to do something great for me. And he says, king, you should put a robe on him. You should put him on a white horse. You should parade him downtown. He's thinking, that I want to go around the square. I want people to see me. They're going to take all kinds of photos. It's going to be on Facebook. Everyone's going to know how great Haman is. And the king says, great, let's do that. Go get Mordecai. Put him on the horse. Do everything I just told you because Mordecai is going to get that honor. And he's just, he's just, all disgruntled. Man, he is just distraught. He goes and he puts Mordecai on the horse. They parade him around town. Everybody sees. He goes home humiliated, tells his wife, You don't believe what just happened. And so they go to the party that night. Haman's there, the king's there, Esther's there. And he says, Babe, what do you want for, for, for me to do for you? She says, I want you to save my life and my people. He says, what are you talking about? Who wants to kill you? She says, that wicked man right there. And immediately the king grows out in a rage. He comes back. He has Haman hanged. She tells him the story and how he's manipulated him to kill the Jews, that she's a Jew, that Mordecai's her uncle, or her cousin who became her father. And they go on, and Haman is killed. And long story short, all that begins to happen. They begin to see God at work, and she goes to the king, and she says, but king, they're still going to kill us on that day. And he says, well... I can't reverse the law. When I say it, it is as if I'm a god. It is set in stone. But here's what I'll do, Mordecai. Take my signet ring. You are now the most authoritative man in the kingdom. Write your own edict. On that day, Mordecai began to write. That on that day, the Jews would begin to defend themselves. On that day, they would take up arms and be in preparation for a day of warfare. And the Jews around the whole per- uh, all of Persia begin to rejoice. And Jews begin to come out of hiding and begin to rejoice and say, "Yes." God is on our side. And on that day, they killed 75,000 people, but did not take the plunder of the enemy. And even the next day, the king would allow them another day to hang Haman's family and begin to take back the kingdom. And we would see God take uh, from sorrow and gloom and mourning into weeping and rejoicing the people of God. In that day, they would name that celebration, even today, they call it Purim. It means that the lots that were cast, the purr, the lots that were cast against them, God turned into a feast. That the things the enemy meant for evil, God turned around and meant for good. Are you hearing me this morning? That it doesn't matter what comes our way, every scheme of the enemy is going to be exposed. And the Bible says that God will make Christ's enemies a foothold, a footstool under his feet. And Timothy says that if you would reign with him, if your faith Would stand till the end, you and I are gonna reign with Jesus Christ. We're gonna be rewarded, and that no matter what we see, God is always fighting our battles. The Bible says it this way, in Ephesians 1 9, that there was this hidden thing. You know, God feels like he's hidden sometimes, but church, there's no longer anything hidden. It says this, that God has revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. I think it's on the screen. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time. They were looking for the right time. He will bring everything together under what? The authority of Christ. Everything heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because you are united with Christ, you will receive an inheritance from God. For he chose you, he purposed in you in advance, and he makes everything work out. According to his plan. Hallelujah. God has grafted you, has purposed you, has a plan for you that you would rule and reign with him. But church, if God is hidden, we've got to let our faith stand. The most cha- awesome verse I like out of this whole thing is this, is Esther eight seventeen, And it says that many declared themselves Jews. You see, when they heard that God had worked all this out, and when Mordecai had stood, and then he challenged Esther to stand, and when they saw that God was working, it said many Jews came out of hiding, many people who had secret faith began to stand up and rejoice. That even though there may come a day of tribulation, there's coming a day of great victory. There's coming a day of great triumph. And no matter what the enemy is coming against us, if I don't know where God is in this in this world that I'm living in, and this economy and this uh, immorality that is surrounding us, and how am I going to raise my kids, and, and how does my kids stay strong, and the enemy is trying to plunder us and come against us. And we could mourn because there's a day coming, but those Jews begin to rejoice. You know what I see in my mind? I see a church that knows it's getting better but begins to rejoice anyway because we know God's got it. That's called the last day's revival. It doesn't mean that everything's working out good. It means that despite the bad, we're rejoicing because the king has already put us on the horse. He's already wrapped us in favor. He's already parading us and saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. I'm with them to the very end. And our faith, as you begin to stand up in your schools, in your job, in your homes, in your neighborhood, and stand for God, take a, take a risk, push the envelope a little bit, God is going to begin moving in other people's lives and other Christians will begin to stand up with you and say, hey, we're going to win. It doesn't matter. If I die, I die. God be the glory. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Worship team, would you come? You are called for such a time as this, church. Student, young person, Will you stand up against what culture says is okay? Will you stand up to say, I'm going to serve God. He is most important. He is priority in my life. Mom or dad, will you lead your family, unlike the rest of the families are being led, and say, God is first in my family, that we are going to serve the Lord. It's not going to be a hidden thing any longer. It's going to be something out there on the front line. Are we going to push the envelope in our community and say, God, It doesn't matter. We're going to stand up for you. Maybe today your faith, you're questioning where God is in your life. Maybe today you've just been going through a religious routine. God is hidden. You haven't felt God move. You haven't sensed God. You know what you need to do? You need to take a stand. You need to take a stand. You feel lonely today. You can know from this story that God is always working. You could be in a foreign land. You could be living in exile. You could be surrounded by all kinds of evil and immorality. But God is always working for his children. He's not hidden. He's working it out. Maybe you're going through something today that you don't know. How am going to go through this? God's working it out. Take a stand of faith. Shout up for Jesus. Tell somebody how good your God is. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. Don't be bashful. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in that hour when you don't know what to say. God is not going to leave you as orphans. He didn't leave Esther as an orphan. He had a plan for her life. You are not alone. But we got to stand up. Father God, touch this moment. Most important part of the day is right now, God. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to touch every heart and every life from front to back. That we respond, Lord, with a heart. We respond by the spirit. Lord, that we're not thinking about what's happening later on today. But right now, God, you, Lord, begin to move, I ask. Begin to move right now, Lord. Lord, convict what needs to be convicted. Prune what needs to be pruned. God, if we need to forgive, if we need to let go, if we need to challenge, or if there's things in our life that don't satisfy you, don't please you, search us and know us, reveal any wicked way in us. oh so God, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. No more secret faith. God, that we would stand up for Jesus. Father, I pray that this week you tell each person here what to do. God, maybe it's a teacher who needs to read their Bible at school. God, maybe it's a person who needs to pray, Lord, over their lunchroom. Lord, maybe it's someone who needs to volunteer, Lord, to be a part of the church and they're not serving in any area. And Lord, you're calling us all to be servants. You're calling us all to use our gifts, but we're not serving. We've been sitting on the back row. We've just been a a spectator in the church. God, you're challenging us. Maybe it's to volunteer in an after-school program. Or, God, maybe it's to start something that's not even been started. God, that we would begin to be mobilized into action. And say, yes, God, I have been called for such a time as this. Maybe you're here and you don't know your purpose. You don't know what God's calling you to do. If you're a child of God, renew your mind. His Spirit will tell you. Where are you at today? How will you apply this? It's not just about an altar call we're about to have. How are you going to apply this message? I believe God wants to do something so great in our parish church that we can't even begin to understand what it's going to be. But we have got to be a church that says, God, if I die, I die. That's how good he is. I can't convince you to join something. I can't convince you to serve in our schools. I can't convince you to volunteer. I can't beg you and put enough pizza in front of this whole community to get them to do what God wants them to do. But you and God have to settle that moment and say, God, I will stand for something. Holy Spirit, help us to know we were called for such a time as this. We are the last days church. You said you'd pour out your spirit in the last days. God, we're asking for that today. In Jesus' name.